Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Start our Lenten worship series, Sealed in the Tomb, Things Christians Should Stop Doing. So if you had the opportunity to experience or join us for our worship series on toxic Christianity, those were things that Christians do in the way that they are in the world in such a way that it can actually become poisonous to our effectiveness of preaching and sharing the gospel. Today is kind of the next iteration of that. We're going to have the opportunity to talk very specifically about things that Christians do that actually subvert our ability to be effective disciples. These are the things that we do and sometimes the things we say that really do become barriers and obstacles and sometimes insurmountable ones that prevent people from experiencing the grace of God, the love of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit because we create means by which they can't access that or they don't want to access it because we ourselves become a stumbling block. And so today we are going to begin with using judgment language. Now, judgment language is when you actually condemn. In scripture, this is when you condemn things. And judgment language is very free-flowing. It comes very easily. Have you ever noticed that the words seem to come very fast when you are angry? (laughs) And so when you are upset or you are hurt or you are filled with anger, sometimes these words pour out. And they are the kinds of words that you hear when somebody says, you are evil you are going to burn in hell. People burn for that. Those are the kinds of words that you hear, as if you yourself were sitting upon the throne and had the ability to decide where somebody would go for all eternity or who they would be when they stand before the risen Christ on Judgment Day. Those are the words that oftentimes sear very deeply. And sometimes when spoken to people, they forever taint the message of Jesus Christ so that it cannot be received, it cannot be heard. We know that words are power. We know this. We are the people of the word. Not only the word Jesus Christ, but the word, the Holy Scriptures. We use our words to share our faith, to grow, to learn. We use our words to pray. We use them to praise. We use them to sing. We use our words to invite. We use our words to send forth. Words are mighty. Think about the way you feel when someone uses words in a good way. When someone turns to you and says, I love you. I am proud of you. You are a beloved child of God. Well done, good servant. Those kinds of words actually help to raise us up. They kind of build us up and edify us. They encourage us. They make us feel known and loved They make us want to be better than we were. But you can also say words that tear down, that make people feel small and insignificant. You will never be loved. No one could love you. No one will ever forgive you of that. Why would anybody want to be with you? 
And when I get to heaven, I don't want to ever see you again. These are the kinds of words that Christians should not utter. These words don't belong to us. Jesus is saying that. Here he is in the gospel account of Matthew, giving his divine wisdom to his apostles and those other disciples and followers who are gathered listening to him. And as he is sharing his word, he is inviting us to think about our own. If you don't want to hear words like, you cannot come into the kingdom, you have not been a good and faithful disciple. You have not been a good servant to God and the gospel. You cannot ever be with us in heaven. Then you have to think about the words you are putting out in the world. Could you imagine if judgment day looked like this? Christ returns in glory Every human being every, ever is resurrected. We are all in our new spiritual bodies. And then we have that moment where Jesus is separating us. You know, we all hope that we're sheep and not goats. Not that you over here are goats. That's not what's happening. But you're hoping, right? You're like, please let me have enough, right, that I'm over here with the sheep. I want to be a sheep because what you're looking for is Jesus to say, welcome. Welcome to the kingdom. I have prepared it for you, and now you get to enter in. We don't want to be those people that are like, hey, where are they going, and why am I not included? We don't want to be those people, right? That is not who we want to be. Because if you want to be those people, you don't even have to be here right now. You could be sleeping in. But instead, you recognize that you want to be with God, you want to worship God, you want to grow in your discipleship, and so you come to worship. You come for that purpose. Because what you realize is that perhaps... On that day of judgment, when God is looking at you and all that you have said and all that you have done and all that you have been, that God's grace will be sufficient for you. That's what you hope for. Because we know that we're not perfect. All of us fall short of the glory of God. None of us are getting in by our own merit. And so we are looking for God's grace. But do our words reveal God's grace? That's the question. Imagine if on that day you're waiting and Jesus is separating, but instead of just going, yes, you're good, sheep, sheep, goat. Instead of just doing that, Jesus takes you into a back room, perhaps the Holy of Holies. And there in that sacred sealed off space, Jesus plays for you your words. Every word of condemnation you have ever spoken. Plays it for you. And you have to listen because Jesus has all eternity. And now you do too, to listen to the words that you have spoken. And then, if Jesus stays true to his own words, what if Jesus then speaks those words to you? Those same words that you have said when you lashed out in hurt and anger, when you used your pain to fuel the desire to cause suffering in another, when you allowed your words to be the venom that infects another spirit. What if Christ were to use those words on you? None of us want that. None of us want to be berated by Christ. None of us want to hear those words spoken back to us. Most of us are probably mortified that we ever use those words. But in our world, especially right now, you can hear words of condemnation. You can hear it from the media. You can hear it on the news. Let's, let's play this out a little bit. Let me think of a name that is not in the Bible. 
Vladimir. Let's say that I have an invisible person named Vladimir here with me. Now, in my anger, in my outrage, in my mortification at the things that Vladimir has done, it would be very easy of me to say, you are evil. What are you doing? No one that God knows and loves could do these things. But the truth is that everything that Vladimir has done is just as bad for Vladimir as my sins are for me, as our sins are for us. Now that's a hard thing to reconcile because in our world, we like it when we can think of at least one person who is worse than us. In fact, some of us probably feel good that Vladimir is so bad because that means we're not the worst. I don't have to worry about Jesus being like, Sarah, what's your problem on Judgment Day? Because God, God has God's hands full with Vladimir. But oh no, God can do all things. God can handle Vladimir and Sarah and all of us all at the same time. So you can't bank on God being distracted by Vladimir's sins. But how do we deal with that level of problem? How do we deal with that? Perhaps, because this has to also be practical, perhaps when we talk about sealing that judgment language in the tomb, what we decide to resurrect and bring forth are the very words of Christ. You'll notice repeatedly in the scriptures that Jesus does not spend time condemning people. That would be in contradiction to what the gospel account of John says, that the son did not come into the world to condemn it, but to heal it. And so when you feel that condemnation rising up in you, when you want to declare someone definitively as evil, as a sinner, as going to hell, what you should do is say, would I want Christ to speak these words to me? And if you don't want Christ to speak those words to you, then perhaps you should practice what Jesus did. Because Jesus met a lot of people that were condemned. People that had been completely written off by their communities, their families, their religious elite. And when he met those people, what did Jesus say to the adulteress when she was thrown at his feet? There's no one here to condemn you. Neither do I. Go forth and sin no more. He offers grace in the face of sin. And isn't that what we want? Don't we want to be forgiven? We don't want God to hold every little thing against us. We're hoping that grace is sufficient. We're hoping that grace is abundant. Because some of us have some times that we have gone through where you look back and you go, ooh, if grace was a gas tank, I am on empty. And you know the price of gas right now. By Easter, you will remember the price of grace. And that grace is not just for the people that we think deserve it. That grace is for all of us. That grace is for my imaginary friend, Vladimir. That grace is for you and for me. It's for the people who have been in opposition to us. It's for the people that have hurt us. It's for the people that are still hurting us now. It is for every single human being, every person that has, is, or ever will live. That is what God has decided. 
And even though there's something intrinsic in humanity that wants to deny that grace to other people, the reality is that it is not ours to deny. Jesus did not even deny the one who betrayed him. That night on which he gave himself up for us, the night on which he was betrayed, he gathered at a table with all 12. And he knew, now whether your theology includes God being omniscient or whether you just want to go by what the gospel accounts say, somehow Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Now maybe he knew it because he is God incarnate and God knows. Maybe he knew because he had watched the countenance of Judas change. Judas no longer acted the same way toward Jesus. Judas no longer spoke with the same conviction about his beliefs and who the Christ was. Maybe it was Judas that was giving off all the clues if you took the time to notice. And Jesus knew that if one of the twelve was going to betray him, it was going to be Judas that night. But even knowing that, no matter how he knew it, Jesus still offered the bread. This is my body, which is given for you. Took his cup, blessed it, gave it to them and said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Even to the one who had already begun the earthly machinations of betraying him and the one who would consummate it and bring it to fruition before the dawn of that next day. Jesus still offered him those tangible signs of God's grace. And if we need any further proof from the cross, Jesus looks out on all of those who participated with their power and their authority, their verbal ascension, and even their passivity. Jesus looked out on all of those who had allowed him to be unjustly crucified. And he looked out and he did not rain down hellfire and brimstone. He did not call upon the plagues to descend upon those people. He did not condemn them all to hell. What did Jesus do from the cross? He prayed for them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How often have we not known what we were doing? You were so angry you couldn't think. You were so hurt, you just acted. You were so upset, you were so out of your right mind that nothing could have stopped you in that moment from doing or saying what you did. And yet God forgives you. God forgives you. We have options as Christians. We can use our words to reflect Jesus Christ or we can use them to give people an excuse not to listen to what Jesus said. And we have that power. You notice in that well-known passage where Jesus talks about, you know, you are looking at the speck in your neighbor's eye and you got a log in your own. Do you ever notice that like the log is in your eye? How many of you were like, I think the log is actually in my neighbor's eye. This one isn't quite accurate for me. But yet, if you've ever had anything in your eye, it feels like a log, does it not? That eyelash becomes a log real quick, especially when it gets under your contact. That is hell on earth. That is a bad sensation. 
I have had that sensation. And I have had that sensation and I couldn't see anything. First your eye gets bad and then you're like, oh my gosh, like your eyes just start watering. Why is this eye sympathetic with this eye? Nothing's going on in here. Stop crying. But you can't see anything. And you're supposed to, to, to perform surgery on somebody else. Here, let me help you. There's a piece of glitter in your eye. No, it doesn't work that way. In order to judge, your eyes must be clear. And none of us see that clearly. We don't see what is happening in the hearts and the heads and in the spirits of other people. We don't know what kind of pain is happening within their body. We cannot judge another person's motives. We can say, what you said hurts me. What you are doing doesn't show me that you want to be in a right relationship with me. And that pains me. We can say, I believe that we are more important than this disagreement and we need to find a better way to resolve it. Those are things we can say. Now, some of us, you're thinking, how am I supposed to remember that when I'm angry? You won't. But you can remember what Jesus did. Jesus knew that people were going to have problems with each other. He knew that some were going to think they were right and some they were going to think those people have to be wrong. He knew that. He had experienced that in his earthly ministry. And yet, what did he say? Welcome. Welcome here. How different would the world look if every time you had a disagreement or a conflict with somebody or an argument, you came and had Holy Communion? Because in his infinite wisdom, Jesus has us do a liturgy that includes everyone articulating their own sinfulness. Articulating how we as a community, as the body of Christ, have failed to be an obedient church. And then, when we get all of that out on the table, when we've finally emptied ourselves in humility, Jesus says, now, take this and taste my grace for you and for the other. Because this grace is the same for everybody. Amen. It is sufficient. If Vladimir were a real person and Vladimir were here with us today, this would be sufficient for him as well. And that's what we need to remember. We need this grace to be as real for us as anybody else. But so often people have had horrific experiences. There are people within our body of Christ who were told because of things that they did that were considered to be a mistake, a bad thing, a sin, they were told that God does not love them. And neither do we as the church. There are people in our family of faith that were told that if you feel or believe that this is you, then you will burn in hell. Other churches have condemned people because of the decisions that they have made. And yet, Jesus doesn't condemn any of us. Every day is a new opportunity to embrace grace. We cannot forget that, nor can we deny it to anyone else, that that grace is sufficient for me and for you and for them 
that that grace is important. And what Jesus continually does is, yes, you have sinned. Yes, you have said this. You have done this. You haven't said this. You have not done this. Your sins are very real. But what he says is, welcome. You are welcome here. This is a place where we taste God's grace. This is a place where we know, no matter how ostracized or cast off we feel, how wrong we feel about ourselves and the way we have lived, how deeply we believe that not even God can forgive us because there's a whole multitude of people who won't forgive us right now on earth. This is the place where the hospitality says, grace is always on the menu. You can eat your fill and come back tomorrow and again and again and again. Because words are building blocks. You know this. You've seen children grow in their vocabulary. We teach them words. One of the first words they hear is what? No. In fact, when we got our, our second dog is a chihuahua, because that's what my son wanted. And I became convinced at one point that the dog was going to think its name was No Cholula. Because that's all Luke ever said to her. No Cholula. No Cholula. And I was like, take a pause in between the no and the Cholula. No is not the word that God speaks to us. It is not. No is not on the menu. What God does say is, Love, forgiveness, pardon, grace. So that you can be forgiven, loved, and free. And if our words don't convey forgiven, loved, and free, then they are not of Jesus Christ. For that is what he proclaimed. He proclaimed it from the cross. He proclaimed it from the empty tomb. He proclaims it now in triumph from heaven. And he will proclaim it with the judgments and the proclamations that he makes on the day of judgment. Our job is to make sure that we don't use words that create more and more reason for condemnation. People are going to give us plenty of reasons. They're going to sin. We're going to sin. And sometimes someone's sin is going to make us sin in response. But God still says, my grace is yours. And when we finally have the guts and the willingness to turn and say, I want that grace, God says, welcome. Welcome into my open arms. Welcome into my open house. Welcome into the heart that you never left. And our words need to reflect that holy truth. If God never shuts us out, we can't shut others out. We cannot shut them down. We cannot cast them aside. And judgment words do just this. And the people that I have met in our family of faith that experience that level of judgment and condemnation, it is a miracle that they are in the church now. I have known a woman who, when she was in high school, her best friend committed suicide, and an ordained clergy person told her that her friend was burning in hell for that. So the message that she heard before she ever became a legal adult was that God hated her best friend. 
We have had church members who have been pregnant out of wedlock and they have been told, God doesn't love you for you are a sinner. Can you imagine nurturing life in your womb with that kind of message? Can you imagine trying to be a good redemptive parent when every message you hear is about the sin you committed more than nine months ago? That's not Jesus. That's human sin. And we are not here to further the cause of human sin. You don't need the cross for that. You don't need God's grace for that. You don't need divine love. You certainly don't need Holy Communion. There is plenty of that in the world. But if you want to be part of building a kingdom, a kingdom that is prophesied to be the only place in all existence, where there is no mourning or crying or sin or death, where there is no evil, and there is no longer any cause for condemnation, then your words need to be the bricks by which you lay a foundation, a path. Because ours is not an easy path. Christianity is not for those that want an easy way. If you want ease, you are worshiping the wrong Savior. Because he says that if you want to be forgiven, you will forgive. If you want to be set free, then you will set others free. If you want to be blessed, then you will bless others. You will set the standard by which Christ will fulfill what you want. And you can't say to Jesus, well, what I really wanted was forgiveness. Even though I constantly spoke evil of other people, even though I constantly wished they would secretly burn in hell, what I really wanted was grace. Because Jesus knows. But the gospel truth is that it is never too late. It is never too late to change our words, to change our actions, to change who we are. When you leave this place, you will decide how you will show up in the world. You are empowered. And Jesus knows that it's going to take strength. It's going to take encouragement. And let's be honest, it's going to take a little practice. But go forth boldly. Use your words in new and empowering ways. Set the prisoner free. Restore eyesight to the blind. And then and only then, whether you succeed or whether you fail, whether you are exhausted or whether you are exhilarated, welcome home. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. In a moment, we'll have the opportunity to worship the Lord with our tithes and our offerings. And I want to share with you a quick experience that we had on Ash Wednesday. In the morning from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m., I was out front to do the morning imposition of ashes. And I had the Lenten devotionals that are still in the back if it's not too late to grab a Lenten devotional. Um, and my son was with me. He likes to be with me every year that I do this. And we were standing there, and this couple came up, and they gave me cash. And I tried to say, you don't, have to, you, don't, you don't have to give me anything. And they said, I know, but the book. And I said, no, 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 the book is a gift. You do not have to do this. You don't have to do this. But they wouldn't take the money back. And those of you who know me know I hate touching cash. So 
I didn't really know what to do with it for a second, and I tucked it in my pocket, and I said to my son, make sure that I put this in Linda's box when we get back into the office. And he said, I don't understand. Why did they give you money? And I said, well, they gave me money because they're from a tradition where you pay for everything at the church. And he said, well, who paid for this? And I said, the church did. Because we bought all of that, the ashes, the anointing oil, and the devotions from here. Your gifts are what make the ministry of the church possible. And those people thought they had to buy that when you already had. So your gifts really do have the opportunity to speak volumes, even when you're not here. So may you feel that every gift is not just an investment, but is truly a blessing. Let us worship the Lord with our tithes and our offerings. Let us pray. Lord, we recognize that you are our one and true God and King. You are the one who created us, redeemed us, forgave us, and sustains us. And in recognition of all of your mighty acts of love and grace, we gather before you to worship and adore you. And these gifts are a righteous and good thing to turn over to you, not just because you are deserving of our honor and our glory and praise, but because through your blessing and the work of the Holy Spirit, these gifts become a blessing for others. So may they lead the lost home to you. May they go out into the world to serve those who are hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, and need to be welcomed. And above all, Lord, may they become the next building blocks upon which your kingdom is built here in Crozet and far beyond. May it be so in fulfillment of your will. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. 
Have a great week.